praise God. We bring our evangelists. Let's give Brother Stevenson a hand of appreciation and praise to the Lord. Let's clap our hands to the Lord, shall we? Oh, I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. Well, praise the Lord. How could you not get excited after hearing what the Holy Ghost moved upon us? My goodness. There's nothing like being a part of the work of God. There's nothing more fulfilling in life than being a part of what God is doing in people's lives and on the earth. You say, well, I didn't sow much. Whatever you sowed, you'll never know what that does in the kingdom of God. We won't know until we get to the other side. What, what I was able to contribute, how it reached and the rippled effect other people. He was talking about the moving of the water, the troubling of the water. I was standing over there thinking earlier about that story. Now, this is just my analytical mind. Okay, if I knew that when that water was troubled and whoever got in it was made whole and I saw it happen repeatedly, this isn't a one-time wonder here, this happened repeatedly. Let me tell you where I'd be pitching my tent, on the edge of the pool. And when I saw that water troubled, I just flopped my fat hide into that pool and be made whole. And that's just how I think. But this man was nowhere near the pool. And then when God confronted him, when Jesus confronted him, he started blaming other people why he couldn't get what he desired. Well, doesn't that sound like humanity? Well, you don't know this and you don't know that. And this is the amazing part of the story. After all of the missed opportunities, Jesus still gave them another opportunity. How many times have we come to church and we miss the moving of the Spirit and we miss the opportunity? But friend, God showed up again this morning and He said, let's not talk about last week or last month or last year, but let's talk about right now. I want you to be made whole right now. Oh, Holy Ghost. My goodness. Turn with me, please. There is such a richness of the glory of God here. I'm not saying it for the redundancy of it, but I have been in very few revivals where it felt like a powder keg. Normally when you go in there, you've got to resurrect the dead. That's just par for the course, okay? I'm not complaining. That's just how it happens. And God is just doing something great here. And that number indicates your heart. That number that he gave sacrificially, that indicates, hey, I want to be a part of what God's doing. God likes that. I'm telling you what, I'm so excited. We're going to read Genesis 1, 1 through 2, and also 2 Corinthians 5. 17. Bible says, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And the earth was without form 
and void. And darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Turn with me now, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Give me a little while this morning, and I want to preach to you on this thought, the beauty of a blank canvas. The beauty of a blank canvas canvas. Could we lift our hands today and let's ask the Holy Ghost to help us. Father, we thank you for the spirit that is so real and rich in this house. Lord, I just believe that you want to minister to people here. I believe that you want to touch people's hearts and you want to do a great work. Oh, Holy Ghost, give us ears to hear what the spirit is saying, but also let us access the realm of faith to step into the miraculous. I love you, Jesus, and I thank you for what you're going to do in this house. Can we clap our hands under the Lord and give God praise? Oh, I love you, Jesus. Lord bless you. You may be seated this morning. The beauty of a blank canvas. A question has risen many times. Throughout history. And I present it again for your consideration this morning. Who is God? Now, we can go a thousand directions with that one statement. Who is God? But before we access or consider who is God, we must first get real analytical. And we have to ask ourselves, is God a who or is God a what? Now, I'm not talking about the incarnation of God, which was Jesus Christ, a male. That's a who. But let's talk about the spirit of God. Spirits are gender neutral. There's not a male spirit or a female spirit. No man has seen God at any time. No man can point to a spot and say, this is where God is. It's never happened. God is a spirit. No man can touch God tangibly. Yes, we feel God with our spirit, what we felt in in worship this morning. Just like the Bible says when Jesus said, the wind bloweth where it listeth, thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell from whence it cometh. You feel the wind, but you can't touch the wind. You cannot point to a spot of origin for the wind, just like God. So we have no way of describing God with first-hand knowledge. Think about this with me. We have at our disposal this wonderful book called the Bible, and we have the luxury, the luxury of reading this book from cover to cover. We see the beginning and we know how it's going to end. But the people living it didn't know that. The people in this book could not access what we have at our disposal. And so because 
in, in, in the days of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and so forth and so on. They, didn't, they could not read this book and say, well, this is who God is. They, they did not know what God was, who God was. So God, through time, revealed things about his character, revealed things about his essence. And now we can take these attributes, we can take these clues, and we can somehow in our minds sketch a clear understanding of who or what God is, and we understand him greater. In fact, when speaking to Moses, he said, Moses, tell him I am that I am. He revealed himself as a savior, as a deliverer, a provider, a healer. But it goes on in the New Testament, and he is love, and he is joy, and he is peace. You see, the Spirit of God cannot be summed up in one thing because it encompasses a host or a multitude of attributes that make up uh, the Spirit of God. We go through the list and His splendor, and the splendor of who He is takes center stage. Yet oftentimes we skip over a foundational attribute that gives us who God could be or a great asset or, or attribute of the Spirit of God. And that was the first role God ever filled, and that is a creator. The first clue given to us to describe God was that he is a creator. His eternal and sovereign presence is again declared in his conversation with Job when he asked Job, where was thou when I laid the foundations of the earth? When I placed the stars in their rightful place and they sang together. When I established the borders of the seas and commanded them not to overflow their banks. When I set the laws of nature in place, thus creating an environment that is self-sufficient. He continues in the last few chapters of Job giving us a glimpse into the creative aspect of his deity. And all of this leads us to, to, the, to read the writings of the psalmist in Psalm 19 and 1 where he said, The heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Everything both seen and unseen has the thumbprint of an artist inspiring and imaginative. And what makes it so is not in what we see right now but rather where it all came from. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And the earth was without form and void. Nothing to be desired by humanity. It's not something you or I would pick. Could I use the term a blank canvas? You see, people don't go to auctions and pay the highest bid for the blank canvas. They want the finished product. I've I, I never seen someone drop a lot of money on a lump of clay. They want the finished product, the pottery, 
They want the beautiful dish or the vase or whatever it may be. Because we as the consumer only see value in the end product. Because we're not artists. And the most beautiful thing to an artist is not what's done, but rather what's not even started. Because he can take that blank canvas and he can make of it whatever he desires to do. He can take that lump of clay that no one sees value in because he's got the eye of an artist. He's got the eye of a creator. Now, you or I don't see the value in it because we want, we want the finished thing. We don't want to have to go through the process to make something. But we're not artists. God is an artist. He is a creator. The beauty is not in what it is, but what it shall be when he gets done with it. I know right now it doesn't look like much, but you don't know what I'm going to do in that person's life. You don't know what I'm going to work in their family. You don't know what I'm going to do in their marriage. You don't know how I'm going to turn their life around. Don't judge them by what they are right now. He's still working. Truth be told, this morning, every individual that's ever walked through these doors fit the description of Genesis 1 and 2. We were without form, and we were void. We had no purpose. We lacked passion. We lacked direction. We all came into this place just like the earth came into existence without form and void. We were nothing to be desired by humanity. We were lacking everything that we needed to succeed in life. But I'm so thankful this morning that God saw something in me that I didn't see in myself. My friends didn't see it. My family didn't see it. The world may have given up on me, but God, who is rich in mercy. My God, if, there's, if God has an abundance of anything, he has abundance of mercy. I'm glad I'm not God. Because heaven would be a boring place by myself. Because that's how we are. When people do wrong, we use a big old black sharpie and put a big X on. We don't use no dry erase marker. We put that permanent ink on there. Because that's just that's who we are. We have, we, we have a way of doing that with pe- family. don't matter. Friends don't matter. We're equal opportunity offenders. We put big X's on everybody. But God, that X, that X that, that we put, God has a way of letting that mercy cleanse that X and say, you know what? Uh, I, I see something of value inside of you. Bible says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. There's something about something new. You, there's an appreciation that well. Here's what I get when I when I get something when I see something new. That indicates to me that it is not reflecting what it once was. New. My wife, my wife likes this app. It's of the devil. It's called Pinterest. 
It's not of God. It's the spirit of Antichrist in it. <laughs> and what's amazing is how they can take some piece of junk that, the, that, 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 that somebody was throwing away. I mean, it was worthless in people's eyes. But when they get done with it, it doesn't even reflect what it once was. It's something totally new. And there's a whole lot of people that fit that Pinterest app. The world gave up on them. People discarded them because they were worthless. They didn't see no value in them. But the artist came by and said, hold on, you may be throwing this away, but I see something of value here. And when he bathed you in his blood and he filled you with his spirit, you don't even resemble what you once were. Paul said it like this, and such were some of you, but you've been washed. You've been justified. Oh, let's praise him right now because he saw something inside of me. Maybe, just maybe, there's a Jacob in the house today. A Jacob that knows what it's like to have a past he's not proud of. A Jacob that knows what it's like to make decisions that were not profitable to his overall well-being. Jacob fit the bill without form and void. But what Jacob did not realize was that he was not running from a past, but he was running towards a future. Jacob, it may be in your mind that you're trying to escape all of the things that you don't like about your life. But what you can't see is the artist is drawing you closer. And you're going to run to a place where you're going to wrestle with an angel. Jacob, you're going to run to a place where you're going to have to make a decision between who I was and who I shall be. And when we see Jacob wrestling with this angel, what you're actually seeing is an outward display of an inner struggle. It's something that's been happening in his life for a long time. You see, it's his past wrestling with his future. It's who he was wrestling with who he shall be. And the angel of the Lord spoke to him and said, Tell me your name. Hold on a minute here. This angel did not stumble upon this man in the desert. This angel was sent by God. So it would seem on the surface that there is some miscommunication because now he has to know, who are you? No, Jacob, we, we know well who you are. What he's trying to get you to do is to address your past. Because until you address your past, you cannot step into your future. Until you deal with those things that you don't like. Until you unbury all of the junk in your life. All of the things that you have pent up inside. Then we can't deal with what you're going to be. And Jacob opened his mouth and said, my name is is Jacob. What were you saying, Jacob? He was saying, I'm a deceiver. I've made decisions I'm not proud of. I've done things in my life I don't like. And when he said 
his name. The angel said, all right, now that you've dealt with all of that, I'm going to tell you who you will be. Your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel. For as a prince, thou hast power with God. Jacob, let me tell you what's happening in the spirit world, Jacob. God's given you a blank canvas, and you can start over right now and right here. You don't understand, Jacob. You're going to be the father of many people. You see, what's amazing to me about the story is from that moment on in the spirit world, Jacob had a blank canvas. But you keep reading from that experience, and people still called him Jacob. Because people have a hard time seeing you as anything other than what you once were. God can see that blank canvas. God sees, hey, I'm working in their life. I'm doing something great. But you've got to watch out for those people. Even church people. Because we have a way of pigeonhole holding people. Well, you know what they did. I know God did a work in his life on Sunday, but it's going to take more than that to overcome all that. We want to see people as Jacob, and we have a hard time seeing them as Israel. We want to remember all of the stuff that they did. Watch this. Jacob could have allowed all of those people to dictate his future. You've got to be careful. Whose lens you're going to look you through your life, live looking through. Now, Brother Landon, come see. Are you in contact? Okay. I didn't want to mess your eyes up too bad. Put those on right there. Doesn't he look sharp? He almost looks as good as me in them, but that's all right. Now, I can't see a thing. I am, all I see uh, me and as trees walking, but just about right now. I see, I see silhouettes, but I can't see anything. So if you're going to make a face at me, now's the time to do it. But these lenses are unique to my life. I went to an optometrist, and he adjusted everything to where when he, when I leave that place, I see life clearly. And these lenses are unique to my life. If he tried to live his life through through the lenses that I gave him, the first thing that would happen was he would lose stability. Because when you're trying to walk through somebody else's lenses, nothing's stable. You're up and you're down. And life is like this. And secondly, everything is skewed in life. Because he's trying to live his life through the lenses somebody else has given him. And when you try to live your life through the lens that somebody else, is give, somebody else gives you, then you'll never see clearly. you got to remember when you came to an altar and God bathed you in his blood, he adjusted the lens in your life to where now you see life clearly. And when the enemy tries to tell you, look what you were, you say, devil, that may have been who I once was, but that's not how God sees me. 
sees me through the blood. You see, you say, preacher, well, you don't understand. I messed up. Welcome to the club. We're all card-carrying members. You'll never meet a person in church or out of church that can say, I've never messed up. They just did. They lied. But see, your mess up is nothing more than a step up. Your mess up, you got two options. It can be the ceiling you place over you above which you will never rise. Or it can be the step that you put under you above upon which that you stand up to draw closer to God. That's the only two options. Either I'm never going to rise above this or I'm going to use this to catapult me closer to Jesus Christ. That's the only two options when you mess up. You see, in Judas and Peter, both of them made the mess up. Judas betrayed him once. Peter betrayed him three times. The difference was, in the life of Judas, it became the ceiling above which he could never rise. But Peter said, you know what? I can grow from this. And he used it as a step up. And God used him on the day of Pentecost to preach to thousands. We're all going to mess up. We're all going to do things that we don't like. We're all going to feel like a failure one time or another. I read a story recently that I found pretty amazing. In 1924, there, were, there was a team of climbers. Two of them, they were a part of this big expedition, and they set out to conquer Mount Everest. As far as is known, those two never returned. They never reached the summit, and they never returned. Somewhere on that gigantic mountain, they were overpowered by the elements, and they died. After the failure of that expedition, the rest of the crew, they went home. And addressing a meeting in London, one of those who returned described the ill-fated adventure. He then turned around to a huge photograph of Mount Everest mounted on the wall behind him. Everest, he cried, we tried to conquer you once, but you overpowered us. We tried to conquer you a second time, but again, you were too much for us. But Everest, I want you to know that we are going to conquer you. For you can't grow any bigger, but we can. My friend, I recall a verse in the Bible that said, Rejoice not against me, O mine enemy. For when I fall, you can't grow any bigger. But I have the ability to get back up. I have the ability to rise above my mistakes. And God can still use me. Who am I talking to this morning? You can't leave here bigger than when you came. You can't leave here greater than when you walked in today. See, God does not discard that which is marred. Now, we could talk all day about people getting out of church and going to live the way of the world and all that kind of stuff. We can talk all day about that. But what about in Jeremiah, in chapter 18, the Lord sent him to the potter's house. 
And in verse 4 he says, And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. He was in the potter's hands. He was here on Sunday night. He wasn't out in the world living the way of the world. He was in the potter's hands. But we all know that you can still mess up in the potter's hands. You can still have problems in the potter's hand. You can still wake up and think, what in the world have I done? My life is ruined and never leave the potter's hands. It's not a a matter of in church or out of church. It's a matter of we're all human and we're all subject to making mistakes and failures in the potter's hands. But the potter did not discard that thing just because there was a flaw. He didn't discard him because he was marred. Bible says so he made it again. Again, another vessel as seemed good to the potter to make it. He's got the eye of an artist. And he understands there's going to be things that happen. And if he discarded every piece of clay that was marred, he wouldn't have any more clay to work with. Because we've all been in the hands of the potter. And there's been a blemish. There's been a mistake. There's been a wrong decision. There's been plenty of regret. And we can't point fingers at anybody else. They all have to come straight to us. I can't point at you and say, look what you did. I first have to look at myself and say, hey, let's look at the flaw within your own self. Let's look at the mistakes that you made. It's not about what somebody else did. It's about I have been in the hands of the potter. And I have been flawed. I have been marred, but I can also remember the times where I felt the sweet mercy of God coming to my life. As the potter said, you know what? If any man sin, we have an advocate with Jesus Christ the righteous. If anybody's messed up, let's come to an altar and let's let God work on your life. My friend, I'm thankful for power. I'm thankful for authority. I'm thankful for God's saving grace. But if there's anything I'm thankful for, I'm thankful for the mercy of God that I didn't deserve. But the potter said, I'm still going to make something out of you. I'm not just going to throw you away because you messed up. I'm not going to get rid of you because you did something you shouldn't have done. There's mercy. There's mercy. I'm not making a doctrine out of mercy and grace. But I am saying that it is still available to anybody that's messed up. As long as you wake up and you're still on this earth and God hadn't come back yet, there's still mercy. There's still grace. You can still start brand new. You know, we got way too many people living under the load of guilt and condemnation. Way too many people. In fact, I struggled with it. Uh, some of you remember my testimony, but I struggled with it because I felt like because I lied so long about not having the Holy Ghost, and when I finally got it, then I felt like I was just lying about getting it again. And then when I would mess up, 
I, I felt like, now this may seem silly to you, but in, in my mind, I felt like when I messed up, I was starting like playing Monopoly. I was going back to go every time. I was a new convert every time. And I felt like I'd take one step forward, two steps back. And I'm like, my goodness, God, what is going on? And I lived under this load of condemnation and guilt because I messed up. Nobody likes to mess up. And I felt like I was a failure, and I felt like I wasn't making any progress. And I'm sitting here inside. We can work ourselves over far greater than the devil ever can. We could beat ourselves up. And one day, my daughter Sadie was probably four years old, five years old. She was very young. And, and something happened. And with Sadie, you never had to whip her. She was one of those that you just looked at, and she straightened right up. She was a parent's dream. And if we'd have had our last daughter first, I told my wife she'd be like God, the first and the last. <laughs> I love all of them. But... One day I disciplined her and I told her something. I I talked very direct and very stern to her. And she got the picture and she straightened right up. And the Lord spoke to me when she she walked off. And and the Lord said, Tyler, did she go back to being a newborn? And I said, what do you mean, God? That don't even make sense. He goes, "When when you disciplined her, did she go back to being a newborn? I said, no. He said, well, neither do you, when you mess up, go back to being a newborn in the spirit. But we deal with the problem and we grow from there. And I walked away going, you know what, God? God has a way of disciplining me through his word, through the preaching of the word, through my prayer time. God could say, hey, bub, we need to work on this right here. We need to work on this right here. But I don't go back starting over. I learn from it, and I keep growing in God. It's a journey. You're not going to reach perfection until you make it to heaven. So you got to remember, don't beat yourself up. Realize that God is working in my life. And as long as mercy is here, I can come to an altar and God can deal with the problems in my life. The beautiful thing about it is my, I can pour my heart out to God. God can hear me and God can deal with me. And this is not speaking about uh, disparaging about any religion, but I'm fixing to make a point. I had a preacher friend of mine. He was in a revival. And a man brand new walked up to the, to, the, uh, to the platform. And he met him down there. He talked to him. He said, well, we've got to repent. Confess our sins and repent. And he looked around and he said, well, where's the booth? Because in his religion, that's what you did. And my my friend, thinking quick on his feet, he said, you're in luck. It's open booth Sunday. You talk straight to him. Man raised his hands, repented. Power of God fell on him. God filled him with the Holy Ghost that very morning. He said, man, I got to come back next week and bring my friends. He said, is it going to be open booth Sunday next week? He said, next week it's going to be open booth Sunday when you bring your friends. That's the beauty of God is I don't have to go and pour myself out to an individual. God knows what I'm struggling with. And God can give me that grace and that strength that I need. Stand with me all over the building this morning. Thomas Edison. 
His manufacturing facilities in West Orange, New Jersey, were heavily damaged by fire one night in December of 1914. Edison lost almost $1 million worth of equipment. That's 1914 money, which would be much more now. But also he lost the record of much of his work. The very next morning, walking about the charred embers of his hopes and dreams, a 67-year-old inventor said, There is value in disaster. All of our mistakes are burned up. Now we can start anew. Three weeks later, he invented the very first phonograph. My friend, there's value in what you're looking at is disaster. Here's why. Because you can come to an altar and the fire of the Holy Ghost has the ability to burn up all your mistakes, to burn up all your regret, to leave behind all of the things that you don't like about all of the things, the decisions that you've made, and you can start anew. I'm preaching this morning the beauty of a blank canvas. We all want to be the masterpiece hanging on the wall. We all want to be the piece of pottery hanging on somebody, sitting on somebody's mantle. That's not going to happen until you get to heaven. Right now, you're just a canvas. And the artist of your soul is making you and what he wants you to be. And when you, it looks like that that canvas is covered with the black and, the, and all of the mistakes of life, you have the ability to come to an altar. And the blood of Jesus can make that canvas whiter than snow. And God can still work in your life. Heads bowed and eyes closed this morning. There's not a person in this building that can say, I don't need God's mercy. We all need God's mercy. We all need a trip to an altar because we've all made mistakes. We've all done things that we're not proud of, that we don't like people to see. We've all got those things like Jacob that have defined our life. It's not about where I've been. It's about where I'm going from here. If you're here this morning, you have never experienced the power of God's Spirit in your life. You have never Receive with the Spirit of God spoke and spoken another language. You say, Preacher, I've never experienced it in my life, but you believe it's real. Nobody's looking around. I'm asking you to raise one hand in the air right now. Nobody's looking around. I, preacher, I've never experienced it, but I believe it's real. Thank you so much. Thank you. Keep your hands up, get your eyes closed. Nobody looking around. Thank you so much. You say, Preacher, I believe it, and I want it this morning. I want it this morning. Thank you. Put your hands down. Now, for the rest of the people in this building, I know beyond the shadow of a doubt, the witness of the Spirit has confirmed it this morning. You need the mercy and the grace of God today. There are people that are dealing with guilt and shame because of things they've done, mistakes they've made, things that you haven't told anyone about. God's here this morning because he wants to help you. You don't have to walk out of here with guilt. You don't have to walk out of here with shame. But you can walk out of here with mercy today. If you want that, I want you to raise your hand in the air this morning. That should be every hand in the building wants the mercy of God in your life. I want the mercy of God, the grace of God, the blood of Jesus. Oh, Holy Ghost, why don't you step out of your pew if you got your hand raised?
Why don't you make your way to an altar? You don't have to tell a man anything. You just come and pray to God this morning. There's mercy here. There's grace here. You can have a brand new start today. You don't have to battle with condemnation or guilt. But you come and receive what God has.